0: Hi, you're very welcome to this week's episode. Today, we have the wonderful Bonnie Milani with us, and we are going to go through some of the aspects of story that make a story readable, that make a story interesting to people, that will make people buy and spread the word and give great reviews. Because part of doing really well with selling books is that the story itself must be genuinely good. In all of our research into the Books that sell best. It appears that the ones with the most reader reviews that readers genuinely like, genuinely enjoy are the ones that sell best. Whoa, what a surprise. Anyway, (laughs) those stories, the good stories sell. And we've got an expert with us. And the reason I invited Bonnie onto this show is that Bonnie has recently helped me a lot with the worst story I'm working on as part of this podcast in really going to town and tearing the story apart and telling me what needed to be fixed in terms of the story. So we'll get more into that a bit later. First of all, I'm going to ask Bonnie to introduce herself, tell us a little bit about her background, and then we'll go in to start talking about stories. So uh, go ahead, Bonnie.
1: Hi, guys. Thank you. First things first, thank you really, truly for having me on. I am honored and flattered um, for the invitation. I appreciate it. Um, You know, I've been telling stories since I was old enough to talk. So I wound up getting my master's from Stanford in communications, print journalism, written for magazines, newspapers all over the U.S. Um, Found many, many years ago that my real true passion was fiction, not nonfiction. And then I discovered that writing fiction is 10,000 times more difficult than writing nonfiction. So I spent 10 years learning the craft of telling a story. Um, There is a tendency, especially in these creative writing classes, to say that whatever you put on paper is going to work. This is great. This is brilliant. No, it's not. There is a craft. There is a structure, a three-act structure, that needs to be followed for a story to work in Western literature. Um, and I was trained in that kind of structure by a Hollywood guru named Sid Field. He, is, he was the man. Um, and he pounded three-act structure into my head, which takes some pounding, let me tell you, because I'm mostly Irish and Norwegian. It takes a lot of pounding to get something through my head. But when he got finished with me, I know three-act structure. Um, and since then, I have been a freelance working editor. Um, I'm a structural editor as well as an author. And I have found that being able to go back to how stories work is a lifesaver because it tells you what pretty much what do you need to do to make a story work. Um, And if you'd like, I'd just go into that um, here or would you rather do questions and answers?
2: Uh, I'll just bring Kevin in for a moment. Um, It's so uh, impressive to hear. Sid Field is, of course, a legendary figure. the level of walt disney so to have actually worked with him i just what was that like incidentally
1: (laughs) (laughs) nerve-wracking no but sid was wonderful he was absolutely wonderful he was supportive and he because he knew what he was talking about so thoroughly he communicated very clearly where is your problem what has to happen when And so he gave, he taught me guidelines as to how do you judge what happens in a story and what needs to happen when. I I can't begin to overstate the importance of how he taught.
2: Well, as you may know, that the premise of myself and Lawrence's podcast, we're both professional writers. I've written and still write as a a journalist for Ireland's national newspaper, the Sunday Independent. Um, Lawrence has his own credentials and uh, we, we, we decided, you know, a few weeks ago to say, well, why haven't we made serious money out of uh, our writing? And that gave us the idea to come up with this podcast, uh, the Six Figure Fiction Challenge. Now, it may be fiction and it may not work out. We don't know. But we are trying to use all the skills available from people like yourselves and the Universal Fantasies and the Hero's Journey to make a, a book each that will create money is is that a Mm -hmm. is that a fiction in itself bonnie or is it doable
1: you know i tend to think that there's a difference between the caliber of book and the marketing of a book and never the twain shall meet um my favorite example and this is my own personal opinion is that jk rowling why was she you know why was harry potter such a fantastic success They're great stories. I mean, it's it's a wonderful set of stories, at least the first three books. But while she's a great storyteller, she's not necessarily a great wordsmith, if that makes sense. Her style is really basic in terms of her writing style. If you look at Stephen King, not great writing style, but really powerful stories. So the story itself matters more than the style. But when you look at marketing, Rowling, to me, is a perfect example of how a great story could have just got totally lost in the shuffle. Instead, after she was, she was declined by, what, 60 different uh, publishers, she wound up with an academic press. Best joke of fortune she could have had because her book, her story for, written for little kids, the first book written for little kids, wound up in a publisher that put it into schools. Mom's, see, you know, mom's come home, my kid's reading a book. Oh, my God, my kid is reading. <laughs> How much better than this does he get? What is he reading? Mom picks it up, says, you know, she wants to make sure that this is a book that she wants her kid to be reading. And she goes, wow, this is a great story. This is really cool. What do mothers do? Mothers talk to each other. Mothers talk to each other, about hey, my kid is reading. Yeah, let me see that. May I get my kid to read? Hey, this is a really good book. Next thing you know, one mother talks to another mother, talks to another mother. And then there's this little thing in the U.S. called the PTA. You want to spread the word, get PTA moms talking to each other. You have the best word of mouth on the whole bloody planet.
2: So there's two things then, essentially, marketing and story. But you have to right. get story right first.
1: But The story has to be right.
2: In, what, in, this, in this brief period of time we have together, what are the elements that uh, someone listening to this podcast who is maybe a frustrated author or a, a start-off author, what, what do they need? What are those essential um, concrete steps that myself and Lawrence and every wannabe uh, writer needs to incorporate in the story they've chosen?
1: First thing that you have to do is you have to, uh, from page one, paragraph one, page one, you have to pull your reader into your story world, anchor them in that story world, make that world real, whatever that world is, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, or nitty-gritty New York crime drama, your reader has to be in that world. And this is true. If you go back and look at Pride and Prejudice, if you look at Wuthering Heights, from page one, you're into that world. And what I see happening too often with the writers that I've worked with is they'll have a really powerful, and I think this is typical of all writers, you wind up with this really powerful scene. And you think, wow, that's my opening. Odds are that's not your opening. Odds are that's your close of act one. Because that's a life-changing event. Um, and it might help so like what is what is the function of each act? Because each act has a very specific function. So act one, you're setting the world, pulling the reader into that world so the reader knows how does this world work before the life-changing event? That life-changing event, the best way to describe it, is what this is how Sid described it. Close of Act One. There's no going back. It's a point of no return. From that point on, if you can, you can see this in Star Wars. What happens? Close of Act One. Aunt and Uncle are toast on the front lawn. There's no going back. If you look, you know, you can look at any story, and if it's working, close of Act One. Roughly, roughly a third of the way into the book, there's a point of no return. They can't. That you're. Protagonist can't go
0: back. What I was particularly taken by in the report you recently gave me was the character report. So I understand the act structure, the Mm three-act structure, but what I was particularly interested in was how you analysed the main character in my story and that she wasn't. The character's name is Sin and that she wasn't proactive enough Now, I did think that actually uh, getting in a fight and doing all those things made her pretty active. Uh, I won't say what happens during the fight, but I did think she was pretty active. But you tore the character apart and said, no, she needs to be more. She needs to be more decisive. She needs to be taking the steps. So that character depth analysis is what really interested me. And I'm still working on changing my story. I'm about a halfway through at the moment, but it's made some big changes. So what, so if we talk a little bit about the character aspect of the story, can you tell me what you think about that?
1: You know, uh, and I think Lawrence that you did something that's, it's really classic with writers. And that is that if my character does a lot of stuff, then they're very active characters, an active character. But the nature of the story is that you have, an uh, between the protagonist and the antagonist, you have an action-reaction pattern. The desire, the, through the goal of your protagonist, the steps that person takes to achieve that goal. So first, up, your protagonist has to have a goal, whatever that goal is. They have to have a goal. They must take steps to pursue that goal. So we must actively seeing them, or we must see them actively pursuing that goal. Then you have an antagonist, or maybe a series of lesser antagonists leading up to the main antagonist, who, for their own reasons, not the authors, but their own reasons, must stop the protagonist. They can, the two goals must be mutually exclusive. So you need to have an antagonist trying to stop the protagonist from accomplishing his or her goal. And what you get then is a push-me-pull, you push-me-pull. And the actions of the protagonists drive the story because what the protagonist does, so they have to they have to do something. They have to be pursuing that goal. If it's, I want to become a wizard, they have to take the steps to become a wizard. If, you know, but we have to, of what it looks like.
0: There's, uh, so there's a tension between creating the plot as you go, which has been my typical way in the past so that if it comes to a Monday morning I have to write another scene, that I come up with that. Uh, They call it a pantser, by the seat of your pants idea. Mm -hmm. What's your take on the whole thing? Because this leads me to the idea that perhaps I should have plotted the whole thing in advance, the complete story, not just, okay, I'll have an ending, I know where it's going, but to have a complete scene by scene Plot written out, described before you write the story. What's your opinion on that uh, as a story, as a story mechanism?
1: Yeah, I don't think it matters. Is different. There's no one right way to write. Yeah, you, know, you may be by nature, you may be a plotter, or you may be a pantser. I Me, mean, I'm a combination of the two. But if you're writing character-driven stories, then you know you have this plot in mind. You have to know your character. What will that character do? Because everything the character does has to be driven by the character's needs within the context of that plot, not by the author's need for the character to do thus and such in order for the plot to work. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. So you know
1: your character. And I think with the plotter, especially the pantser, part of that first stage development, that first draft development, is getting to know your character. Would they do what you wanted them to do? Um, so you might have, uh, if you have a character who is a healer, is that person going to kill somebody or not? They might. You know, it could be an act of mercy. It could be a kindness. What would that person do? And then let that person's own, that, that character's own essence, that character's personality and strength and drive drive the plot.
0: Would you um, write a character? You know, some people write a character analysis before they write the story. Would you believe in that or let the character develop as you write the story?
1: I think if, you really do, if you're writing character and then there's like two different types here, there's character-driven fiction and there's you know, your plot-driven fiction. Like if you look at Isaac Asimov, his characters are stick figures. They're just there to drive the plot. But if you're writing character driven fiction, then you can start out with a character outline and so say, you know, I need a healer. And I say, it's a girl. She's a healer. She's, you know, 20 years old. She's this and that. And you have an idea. You have an outline for a character. As the plot develops, this character will grow in your mind. And you'll find that you're going to revise who that character is because a character will grow on you. And they'll reach a point if you're, if you're a writing character they'll reach a point where that character will just, will not do what you want them to do if it's not if it's not consistent with the personality.
2: Um, Bonnie, what would you think are the, the, the elements, the critical elements of Act 1, 2, and 3 for our listeners and for, for myself and Lawrence? What, what should we be looking to do in the opening, Act 1, 2, and 3, and closing, just so we can have something to start Really, putting our story through a, a sieve.
1: Do you want like an outline of act structure?
2: Yes, in your okay. own words. Well,
1: Tom, act- particularly
2: when, particularly bearing in mind that most of us don't get this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> even when, you, even after you think you got it, you you, then you sit down and try to write. It's like I don't. Have, what happened here? I don't get. I don't have this anymore. Um, act one anchors the readers in the world before the before. The world changes. Act two develops the plot, action reaction pattern, and the pattern intensifies. Midpoint is where it's like the clock starts ticking because at midpoint you start ticking the clock to the end. All right, there's now a a timeline. There's like, okay, we have to do this in X amount of time. And it's also um, what Sue would say is like now it's personal. So you have an event that says and that makes this really personal for the character, for your, for your protagonist. Close of Act 2, all is lost. It's like, oh, my God, the bad guys are going to win. How do we fix this? And then your final summation is, is like the um, your climax is at the end. Okay, and then you have your wrap-up, which is the reward for having done everything. I think the thing that most of the writers that I've encountered, most of the people I've worked with, when they're first starting out, what they're missing is that the action has to center on the protagonist, who may or may not be the hero, but it's the protagonist attempting to achieve his or her goal that is driving the story. Key aspects happen to the protagonist because of what the protagonist does. And I see a lot of writers they get the points right, but the points are happening to the wrong characters. And so the story becomes very diffuse. The, the reader doesn't know who to root for. Um, and it loses its power. It loses its cohesion. So you really need to keep the focus on your protagonist. Yeah. And the protagonist is the person who changes. You know, it's not just the hero. It might or might not be many, many times. The protagonist is a background character, but it's that person's change that enables the hero to achieve his or her goal. Does that make sense?
2: It does make sense. And uh, what, what, what is the me- so what is the source? What is the juice that uh, we all, whatever the story, whether it's sci-fi, whether it's uh, ruthless billionaire, whether it's uh, fantasy, or whether it's gritty crime, what, what should each writer really bring in order to maximize their chances of making commercial
1: success? You know, get the story right. Because I, I think there are... The marketing is a whole separate world yeah. than the storytelling. But the worst, to me, the worst possible thing you can do to yourself as a writer is master the marketing. Get a really great, effective marketing campaign going for a book that doesn't work because if you if you market this and you market it right and you just hit your target audience and it book that first book sells but the first book doesn't cut you know just doesn't hold water it doesn't have a clear act structure doesn't have a clear protagonist does the book sucks you have just blown yourself out of the water because now you have a lot of people who know your name and they know your name as a, as a as someone who can't deliver a great story. Um, that means yeah. your next book is going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I read this, so don't bother. So I think the worst thing you can do is master the marketing and not the actual storytelling. But it's yeah. very easy to master this. Well, it's not easy to master the storytelling. But you can master the storytelling, have a great book, and never figure out how to market it, which is probably 99.9% of all people out there. One and of the then big the challenges. book doesn't
0: sell. One of the big challenges is taking on criticism and advice.
1: Both.
0: I suppose you've had multiple reactions because... We all think we're wonderful, right? We all, you know, we get, uh, you know, we've written it. We've spent a year writing the story. We've asked our sister and our mother and our cousin what they thought of it. And everybody thinks we're wonderful. And they all tell us we're great. And we think we're great. And then somebody dares to come along and tell us, we haven't got a three-act structure. We haven't, we haven't, you haven't got a proper protagonist. And Tell us a little bit about this thing about people taking on criticism. Mm. Have you had, have you experienced that?
1: Oh, 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 yes, paint. Pain. I mean, one of the things I used to do as I, when I was a teacher, I should have said I, I taught fiction writing for a lot of years. And one of the first things I would do in a class is say, okay, these are the rules to receiving a critique. Here's the rules for giving a critique. These are the rules, rules for receiving a critique. Number one, do not kill the person who's critiquing it. <laughs> Don't throw things at them. Don't call them names. Because receiving that first critique until you have had somebody tear your story apart more than once, um, you know, I'm lucky. I, I was tra- I trained first by Sid and then I, I wrote for editors <laughs> A newspaper. So me. <clears throat> I mean, I kind of sort of got my, my skin thickened early on. But getting that first critique, when you think you've done your best, you've truly done your best, and you, you're so proud of it, and your mama loves it, and somebody says, this. But in, in a year or two or three, this might actually be a story. That's like being a, you know, a new mom and having someone say, God, you've got an ugly kid there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it just cuts you to the core. I really, I truly do understand that. But I, have, I years ago, I had to give a critique to a, a, someone who'd hired me to, to do an analysis for him. 500 pages of Mighty Mo and the Mushroom Men. <laughs> I can't. And there was no plot. There was no antagonist. There was no conflict. And incidentally, conflict comes by that action reaction pattern. I should that that's, there's your conflict. Oh, and I had to tell him these things. Um, to say he was not happy would be one of the understatements of the century. <laughs> I mean, I, he's threatened to sue me. Yeah, people, people really, really, because it hurts. And I think that's one of the things that so many um, people who are doing analyses fail to understand is that it doesn't matter if the book works or not. The person who wrote it has put time, effort, sweat, blood, and a lot of times a lot of tears. Their heart and soul is in the story. The fact that they don't know the mechanics of making the story work is, is something else. But they, do, they work just as hard or probably harder than somebody like Stephen King who really knows what he's doing. Um, so a professional writer who has learned it and can, um, if you look at a romance, look at romance writers who can churn out three, four books a year, they have a pattern, they have a schema that they're following, they know exactly what happens when, and they're bam, 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 bam. Those people are not working nearly as hard because they have the rhythm they have, they know their story, they know their audience, they know what they're doing.
2: so what, what you're saying, Bonnie, in a way, is that if you know your story, it's going to be easier. Pardon If you know story structure, it's going to be easier
1: it's it's much easier because you can sense what's going on um, and- but Lawrence says. Uh, Lawrence has a great point know your characters
2: know your characters
1: Because your char- the conflict comes in what we're talking about here which is character driven fiction the conflict comes from the characters you know, when you have and that's the action reaction pattern, your protagonist pushes forward, the antagonist pushes back and the protagonist overcomes that obstacle and pushes on to the next one antagonist pushes back harder so that yeah. each stage is a little bit harder, a little bit more intense than the last one. Each pattern, each incident, without that conflict, you have a chronology. And, and,
2: and, and, is, it also, and is it also that the, the, the protagonist is resisting change? Is that also one of the big drivers?
1: The antagonist?
2: No, the protagonist is resisting change. Is that one of the big drivers?
1: It may or may not be. It's more that the in- protagonist has a goal, that they're okay. not reactionary. Because if they're, if they're resisting change, they're reactionary. That can be a part of it. It depends on how your story works. You can have a protagonist drag, kicking and screaming into the future. But that person has a goal, <coughs> whatever yes. that goal is. And then, to midpoint, they may ask, ooh, now it's personally This, this my behavior has caused thus and such to happen. And I, I, I can't let that go. I, I have to fix it.
2: And what All if right, the protagonist they- doesn't know? What if the protagonist doesn't know that
1: they have this goal, that they're ignorant of this goal, this need to change? The protagonist, in that case, may be in the background. I would have to see the circumstances. Okay. all right? Because whatever it is, your protagonist must be proactive. You know, they might be proactively resistant, but they have to be proactive. So okay. you can't have yes. everything just flowing past them and they're, and they're just sitting there going. Yeah. When you take the conflict out, even though a bunch of stuff happens, you have nothing but a chronology. And then it's, a, then it's just a laundry list of events. Take the conflict out and you just have a laundry list of events and your reader's going.
0: Bonnie, uh, we're going to close up now. And I really appreciate, I think we've got more to talk about at some point over the next six or 12 months. We've got more to talk about as both Kevin and myself uh, develop our stories more and I Finish with the current story i'm working on which you really helped with your uh, with your analysis your story analysis and i really appreciate that and so we're going to see more on this we're going to come back to you at some point so kevin wants to have a
2: final word go ahead um, where can people find out more about structure is there one good resource you could recommend Is the Sid Field book still
1: relevant? Read. If you can find a book by Sid Field, read it. Anything you can find by Sid Field, read it. The man man was... And, and then
2: finally, if we're going to use someone of your skills, like we're going to recommend people do that, should one also use someone of your skills with an outline before we start reading to see if it's ticked all the right boxes to send an outline of one page or two pages? Is that also a function of a story expert, a script doctor?
1: You know, I, I think it depends. Each writer come, has to find his or her own way of writing. I mean, I would agree with you. If, you know, what happens when? Have an idea of what your acts are. You know, or in Hollywood terms, what, what are your outs? You know, how do you, you out-act one? How do you out-act two? What's your midpoint? But be prepared that that will change to some degree as you progress with the story and get to know your characters because you allow your characters to drive it and they'll do what, they'll do what they need to do as opposed to what you want them to do. That, does that okay. help? Okay
0: that bonnie that's wonderful i really appreciate you uh coming on this call we're going to wrap up this call now really appreciate you doing this we're going to give you uh links to it when the podcast we're preparing a whole series of episodes we'll send you a link at the end so thank you very much bonnie it was great to have you with us take care
1: oh my pleasure thank you so much guys i really appreciate it take care guys